life is complex. So is our mental health. It cannot be understood by diagnosis alone. Our philosophy is treat the person, not the mental illness. Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanizing Mental Health. I'm Jeremy Alcorn. And I'm Trenton Akers. Today we are joined by a guest, uh, Dr. Corey McClung. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. I'm so glad to be here. I'm, I've watched, oh, I didn't watch anything. I actually listened to your, your <laughs> previous episodes and they were fantastic. Oh, they well, were so good. Yeah. It really made me pull in my own uh, history and, and kind of uh, make me feel uh, and, and experience my life before and put everything together in ways that I never would have thought if I'd never had heard your show before. So thank you, well, both of you. Yeah, you're welcome, and it's always good to hear from a fan. Um, I'm a little bit curious. Maybe this will help to lead into um, what brought you here today. What are the episodes that really stood out to you? Um, I know that uh, with Mano, you guys did one on tribes. That one really, really, really stuck out to me. Okay. Kind of helped me understand um, some people that I was around and and how I reacted and behaved as a child and led to me to, to, to where I am, as well as um, the one on intergenerational trauma as well. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, um, it made me think a lot about my past with my parents and how they behave certain ways and, um, and uh, led me to experience way, my life and, and make decisions the way I did. And retrospectively, it was, it was very enlightening. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you've got a lot of insight from those episodes and hopefully through uh, sharing your story today, we can help others gain some insight for them. Yeah, in fact, uh, that that is a, a perfect lead-in. Um, it's an interesting starting point. Uh, Corey and I did didn't know each other, so this would have been what about eight years ago now? Is that right? About eight, I think about eight years ago. Yeah, it was eight years, 2014. Yeah, and um, he was someone I didn't I didn't know. I knew his parents because I went to church with them, um, and we had some some kind of church camp. It was like a father and sons thing or something. And, and I just heard somebody talking about some very, very important aspects of their life, like a major decision. And, um, and the weirdest thing is, clearly I don't always have the greatest boundaries. No? <laughs> Jeremy, you're a therapist. We teach people about boundaries, man. Come on. I know, because the thing is, I was so fascinated by this conversation that had nothing to do with me mm-hmm. that I just inserted myself into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, and started kind of exploring things. Wow, this is fascinating. It's just exploring this kind of cost-benefit analysis that really had nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And the funny thing is, and we ended up uh, uh, being friends after that yeah ladies and gentlemen you just got an insight into the mind of a therapist <laughs> like we, we may tone it down but we never truly turn it off oh, now we're scaring people yeah <laughs> you don't have to protect your, your conversations from no, us we're no, not going to run after you no, and try to fix you no no but we're very much like sherlock holmes we all yeah. we're always picking up and putting down clues we just yeah. have to remember when we're on the clock yeah we got to turn it off sometimes so yeah um in fact the content of that decision, uh, really, I think is the, the foundation of this episode, which we chose to title when is enough enough. Yeah, it was, uh, uh Jeremy makes it sound like he was, uh, totally, uh, intruding on this conversation, but I don't think, uh, Jeremy could ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, um, so to kind of give you some context there, uh, you know, I had just come, uh, I'm an optometrist. I had just graduated from optometry school in 2014 and, uh, I'd come home and was working for my dad, who's also an optometrist. And, uh, we were, I was working at his clinic. And, uh, I had, uh, in my last year, I did a bunch of externships at, uh, this one in, in a hospital in Pennsylvania. And we worked in the same, same wing as some of the eye surgeons, some of the, some of the ophthalmologists. And so I worked very closely with them. And there was one point where I had thought to myself, well, maybe I want to do that. Maybe that's, I, th- I think that's what I want to do. Maybe. So I'm just going to let fate decide for me and I'll just apply to mm. medical school, which um, in order to become a surgeon in the eye world, you have to go through medical school to get there, not just optometry school. Mm. And uh, 
so I applied, and the only place in Canada that accepted it without an MCAT was at McGill University. Mm. So I applied. It took me about two nights, and then I applied. And uh, I was reading on their website, and they have like over a thousand applicants, and they only accept ten out of province. And so I uh, just shot it out into the dark, and I got an email back, probably a month and a half, uh, two months later, the saying that I was accepted for an interview. I was one of a hundred people accepted for interview. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Sure. I guess I'll go. I, I decided to go down this road. So let's just walk the path and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, you know, went to these mini interviews and then I thought, okay, that's that. And then about a month and a half later, I got an invitation to go to medical school at McGill university And, uh, you know, my, and I think the most flattering part of it was the fact that, uh, in my entire undergrad and optometry school, I never had any scholarship except for the Rutherford (laughs) in my first year. Mm -hmm. And they actually, um, offered me to pay for my full tuition for my first year. Wow. So that made me feel obviously really buoyed up inside. But then I had to decide for myself what I actually wanted to do with my life. And I think that question is more than just a two-second answer mm-hmm. that requires some, some, some backtracking. And um, just to kind of understand, you know, where I was positioned in my life and where, where I should move forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, just as you're telling your story there, because I mean, like, medical school, like, the first thing that comes into my mind is like, really proud parents. And then, like, one of the major barriers is, okay, oh, gosh, how are we going to pay for this? But it's like, you know, all those barriers weren't there. And then it's like, whoa, wait, you know, this is, this is what society kind of wants me to do. But like, really, does this fit for me? Is this who I am? And what is my path in life? You nailed that. Yeah, That's exactly sure. how I was feeling at mm-hmm. the time. In fact, there's there's one one more thing that I think uh, I, I would add that just jumps out to me is uh, the notion of ambivalence. That is, I, I'm not square with myself on this one. There's parts of me that are one way, parts of me that are another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and Trent smiles at me as soon as I say that. Yeah, good, 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 old, good old parts. Sorry, it's this. My IFS brain yeah. goes. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. externalize here. Yeah. So um. So, so the the reason that jumps out to me, is because then you go, huh? What is what is the part that formed? that is driving me towards I need to do this? And also then, what is the part that is saying, huh, maybe this isn't what I need? In fact, I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but, but, but I think we're going to a flashback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and starting to understand maybe what, what was some of the, the motivation to feel like this is something I need to do. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly yeah. right. I think... Um, yeah, do you mind if I just jump into it? Yes, yeah, let's flash yeah. back. Let's, okay. uh, yeah, let's go on the way back machine. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, I was listening to the episode of Intergenerational Trauma, and this is, I, I feel like at the time, my mind was just wandering over to my parents and their their history and, and what led me to, to, to experience certain things. And so to give you an idea, my dad comes from a family of six kids, and he's the oldest. And his his dad had a uh, had a job where he um, taught religious studies, um, and uh, he ended up uh, quitting the job, and uh, working as an as a sort of door to door insurance agent, and then just here and there from different jobs that he thought he could just you know make more money on or or whatever it was, and um, you know. It, my dad, he, looking back on it, um, when I was a kid, my dad was always like super strict with financial things and, and with work, he, he could not leave work, you know, going on holidays because he owned his own business and just financially, um, I, he grew up in a family where, you know, they were kind of tight for money all the time. And, um, he always worried about his ability to support his family. Mm. And so he was very much, um, I love my dad. He's wonderful. Mm -hmm. He's a wonderful example, but uh, he worked a lot. He was a bit of a workaholic. And I think a lot of that was because of his upbringing of, um, always being strapped. And my dad 
just didn't, in his mind, if he took a holiday or (laughs) it it then reflected on his ability to be able to support his family somehow. And, um, you know, for me growing up that, that created a a culture or, or a mentality of, um, you know, like whatever I have to do in life, I have to be able to have a good career that I support my family. And uh, whether or not that was the best decision for me at the time, that's just something that was always driven and drilled into my brain ever since I was a little kid, just because of my father's experiences. Sure. In fact, if I could jump in, yeah. in terms of just a, a bit of a kind of reflective summary um, that we're talking about feeling secure. How do I feel secure? Yes. And, and it's like, okay, I know if this specific thing is not taken care of, I won't feel secure. Mm-hmm. So I'll make sure that that becomes an important target in my life. I'm going to make sure that that's taken care of. I'll feel secure. Um, but then we hand it off. We hand that off to the, to our children without even knowing it or meaning to, it's not that we mean to. Yeah, yeah. It's all, all in uh, internal family systems. We would call that a legacy burden. And the thing is, is that, you know, it's kind of hard to recognize, you know, what is this burden? Where is it? Where is it mine? And what is it? What can I give up that's somebody else's? Mm-hmm. So it really makes sense. It's like, okay, well, then I'm sitting here listening to a conversation that is happening, you know, in, what do we say, 2014? Um, and uh, And what is coming out is really the theme of how do I feel secure? Do I need to do this um, to make sure that I ensure that that goal of security is met? Yeah. 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 And also too, the one thing that I'm, that when, when I was listening to you that I was a little bit curious about because your grandfather gave up the, the job of religious studies and then he moved into, you said being like a door to door salesman. So I'm almost wondering for him because he went into that, was there um, any sort of regret or any sort of like giving up of like sort of that cultural capital? Because um, being a like a professor and being a doctor holds a lot of status within society. And what would that mean for sure. you? Sure. Yeah. D- d- does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, from my grandfather's side or from yeah, my yeah, side? Yeah. Like, yeah. So you talked about this influenced my dad in this specific way. Um, and he needed to create security through finances as a primary spot and worried about it. And that influenced me. Um, and I th- make sure I understand that question, right? It's like, um, there is also a shift or a change in status. So I think what you're talking about would have been the educational system, seminary or yeah, institute. Yeah. yeah. There's a status that comes with that in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that status is lost. Your dad, not only did he find financial security, yeah. he found status in the role as well. Yeah. So that that question, I think you're talking about that status mm-hmm. process. Because I, I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. My dad, I, he was actually a carpenter for a few years before he mm-hmm. uh, went to, to university to become an optometrist. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to ask my dad, you know, how, how he kind of was ticking and going through that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if if some of that hold held, held true for sure. And like, that's kind of the, the, that statement of the episode, right? One is enough enough. As mm-hmm. you're starting to talk through that, it's like, well, one of the things we're really exploring here is you're already a doctor. Why do you need to be a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, like, cause yeah. to the average person on the street, they're like, yeah. Oh, I didn't know an optometrist doesn't go to, um, to medical school. I, th- I thought that, they were just like a heart doctor or any other MD that specialized. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't know that an ophthalmologist is the medical doctor, an optometrist is a doctor, but in, in through a different stream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so like um, that that position, you know, I think becomes important. Yeah. Um, and and you're just exploring uh, as you're kind of continuing that narrative, where you're saying, you know, this uh, is influenced me. My grandpa changed. It influenced my dad's security. And then I was influenced by that. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that's a super power, powerful uh, reflection and with, mm-hmm. where there's no blame, right? Whose yeah. fault is that? Where is their fault? No, no, yeah. Nobody was abusive. Nobody was, no. you know, hurtful in their process purposely. No, no. Uh, yeah. Like, um, you know, like you, we were talking before the episode, it's all about epigenetics, right? It's all mm-hmm. about environment influencing our genetics and sort of that need to kind of find survival and, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of recognize that. And how can we then consciously recognize what's going on and work 
with all of that to create a better um, environment for ourselves and for those that are around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So um, uh, in, in terms of picking up your narrative again, yeah. um, so that being, I think, a, a very potent um, part of it. And, I, and I'm, I'm really curious how that yeah, continues so to weave in. So it's interesting because I was looking at my mom has an equally powerful influence on my life as well mm-hmm. as my mother. Um, and uh, she was uh, she grew up in Holland until she was nine, and then she moved to Canada. And her parents said, uh, you know, weren't very well off. They just kind of moved to Canada, sold everything they had. And I remember my mother telling me stories about when they came to Canada, you know, they couldn't afford a fridge or a freezer and they would keep all of their stuff outside because it was Calgary and it was freezing to them. <laughs> you know, mm. you know, sometimes the milk jug would freeze over overnight, you know, and um, well, help keep the milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, so my mom would tell me these stories and um, I, I, you know, I, I look back and one, one, in, one interesting story my mother told was that she said when she came to Canada, she obviously, her English was terrible and mm-hmm. uh, she would attend English class and, and feel so horrible about herself. But there was a teacher, her teacher um, would bring her up to the front because she knew math inside out and backwards like nothing else. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Mano had the same experience. Yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah, interesting, yeah. right? Um, I guess in Europe, the, the, their math skills are like way advanced above ours. And so they'd, they'd sit the, my mom at the front of the class and the teacher would ask her these math questions over and over and over. And the students sitting in the chairs, their mouth would just drop because mm-hmm. they were thinking to themselves, how does she know this? And uh, it, it, it helped my mom's confidence because she didn't, she was so insufficient when it came to so many other subjects like social and English and literature and all that stuff. But she gained some confidence from her math skills, which was, um, you know, it, that you, you look like you want to say something there, Trent. <laughs> no, 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 sorry, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I must have question face. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Th- this is what you don't see when you're just listening to me. Yeah. Like, um, like the one thing that I'm really noticing, because there, there's parallel narratives between both of the grandparents where they're both coming from a sense of scarcity and from moving from security to insecurity yes. or even mm-hmm. status. And, and I'm almost one, Wondering too um, with your mother because I, I don't know for for me I'm wondering if like yeah it helped her out with the children but also too would that have maybe isolated her a little bit more in some ways too you know being like the math genius yes yes I um I wouldn't be surprised my um I love my mother dearly and um, as as all as, as many of us do, we, um, but, uh, yeah. Sure. Sure. Like, uh, and, and one of the things that, that really jumps out to me as you talk about this, when you're describing things, I was thinking actually about the teacher, like once the teacher knew that there was a skill, um, was the teacher actually just coming from a strength based position that was like, you know what, this person is scared and they're good at something and I need them to see this and uh, and they'll be able to grow from it they'll be able to see their strength and recognize recognize I'm not just a bunch of deficiencies yeah 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 oh well, that's a much more strengths perspective than I was mm. looking at it initially mm, well and I, I that's what I wondered about like um did, did the teacher know yeah. I was wondering where that was going to go because it's like that could really backfire yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, my, looking back on it, just from the way my mother explains it, she explains it with a very positive light to it. Mm-hmm. Um, she she doesn't, um, at least that she lets me on to know. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think that she does have a lot of insecurities that result as, as, as from moving from Europe to Canada and having that cultural difference and mm-hmm. the language difference. Um, my mother is one who... Uh, does something and does it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to get good at it and then finds a lot of pride and joy in, in, in that, um, such as music. Um, yeah. Such as music with mm-hmm. the, her flute. Uh, she's mm-hmm. an excellent, uh, flautist mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, love that word. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I think that that kind of 
gives uh, you as perspective kind of where I, the, the culture, the society, the culture that I grew up with, uh, that tribe that I had in my own family mm-hmm. from yeah. an expectations from, um, from me as the, as, sure. as a, and, and it sounds like you're also saying then, because maybe I should just, um, uh, instead of reflecting, I should just ask overtly the influence that you see from your mom's side, how would you describe it? Um, I, for with both my parents, they are both very determined Mm -hmm. from my mother. I think it would be a repetition and the strength you can get from, from doing something over and over and over again. Um, mentally that can have a lot of taxing effects on you. Um, and I, I do look at, um, my own life and, uh, some obsessive tendencies I've had in the past, I do feel like may result from, from some of those repetitive things to get, to get good at something, but sure. I don't so, know if that's where you're going. You know, but, well, yeah. well, um, it's, and this is only just what it, what it sounds like to me. You can tell me if I'm, I'm wrong. Um, that is, I can count on me and I found out that I'm good enough. You know, like mm. if you're thinking about that, that mm-hmm. picture, I can't say that I could psychoanalyze your mom's not here and it wouldn't be fair, but just from what you described, it's like, okay, I come into this hard situation um, and I feel alone and somebody pulls my strength out and actually I find out I am good enough. I can get through hard things, um, but it means I know I can count on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then I do count on me and I organize my life. And when I have my life organized, I feel secure. So like uh, when you're describing yourself, like I, uh, just knowing you for some time, actually that really, that really makes sense to me. I look at, and um, I remember one time I made a mistake. We're at your place. You're, uh, you're very organized. You got a case that has <laughs> like, uh, you know, video games from back in 1980, whatever, when they came out 90 and they're pristine and they're in a glass case and, and it's organized and, 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 and I made a mistake where I back behind, you had cords and I was like, Oh, it's rats, rat's nest. And, uh, and, and, and I remember your response and I thought, actually, I, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really actually care. It doesn't matter that they're disorganized is what mm. I was thinking, but I was like, probably that wasn't even a good thing to say. Why, why did I need to say that? <laughs> yeah. And, and I noticed that it actually did bug you a little bit, not like where you were dysregulated, but that yeah. it's like th- that bugged you. Yeah. So, so what I, I now I'm a little bit curious when you, when you, when you sit back <laughs> and, and you, and you think about that. And if you were to put yourself back in that place, like what are some of the thoughts and feelings that come up? Like if somebody were to, to make a statement like that to you, that said something about here not being ordered or, or orderly. Uh, difficult, difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, cause I'm I, like, I'm just here, like as you're talking, like I'm wondering how strong your, your inner critic kind of is. And like when, uh, when he, or when, when it comes out and like, when is that valuable for you? But then when is that also detrimental? Sure. So I have an example that, um, in high school, uh, Bill Wall was my um, high school band instructor. And in grade 10 or grade 11, mm-hmm. I think it was grade 11, we had a band concert. And it wasn't just a band concert. It was like the um, every year you go to the, you get critiqued. I forget the the, the competition that happens every year. And anyways, so it was our turn. And uh, we were supposed to bring our sheet music. And being a percussionist, I was the only one with my sheet music. And I show up right on time, you know, as teenagers do. And, uh, I realized I didn't bring my sheet music. So I went to my band instructor and I said, um, I don't have my sheet music with me. And (laughs) he looked at me with the most evil eyes I've ever seen come out of that man. (laughs) I'm like, thanks. (laughs) You're the only one at this part. And he looked at me and he goes, no, I don't have any sheet music to give you. I'm sorry. Mm. No, that he walked away. And so I played the concert without any sheet music and, um, I just went off memory and then afterwards he found me and he pointed, he made, made it a point to find me. And he said, you know, I was looking at the sheet music the entire time and watched all of your parts and you never missed a single note on the xylophone, on the timpani, on the snare drum, you never missed a beat. 
And for me, I was like, yes, mission accomplished. I felt so much satisfaction from that because I had made a huge mistake and not bringing my own sheet music. I was like so distraught inside and I was, but that for me was uh, made, made a huge difference. Um, and I've had other instances in my life where I maybe have forgotten things. And, uh, it's, it's like my ability to, to, to accept failure in my own brain is really, really, really difficult for me. And, um, you know, sometimes it works out like in that band, uh, incident and, uh, I'm trying to think of an incident specifically that I can share that <laughs> it didn't work out. Um, but um, I'd know that there is many, many that didn't. But. Yeah. In fact, if, if it's okay, drawing the two streams together. Um, so like the, the one stream being that, that position around security with um, sufficient financial um, security being key, actually coming from both sides. That, that was pretty clear. Um, but that, that idea around having that sense of status in a community yeah. uh, really sounds like that was part of it, you know, from your, your dad's side. And, uh, and from your mom's side, that position around, I feel secure when things are orderly and organized. So, so can, can I make a reflection that, that dumps back into the original decision that you were trying to make? Please. So the reflection is, all right. So here I am, I actually accomplished what I needed to in terms of becoming um, a doctor, and that is something of status already, except that there's a doctor that somehow is seen to be over this doctor, and I, I have the opportunity to be that doctor now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other thing being, well, when I, when I tried to, to first apply to this, I didn't think that there would be a chance. Yeah. I just thought is a good thing to find out if I could do. It's a good thing to spend two nights doing. And now that this is right in front of me, it has disorganized my life. And I am anxious when my life is disorganized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to actually have to make this decision even. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to just go on with my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would have been easier if they would have said no. Mm-hmm. It would have been way easier sure. if they would have just said no. Mm-hmm, because it wouldn't have been a disappointment or anything. You yeah. were already in the mindset of this is what I've chosen to do with my life, but maybe I'll take a chance to see if this is a possibility, yeah. which meant that if it was no, it wouldn't have been a failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm, I'm almost wondering too, um, like when you went to apply for this, what was your parents' reaction? That is a good question. My parents didn't know until I got in, which tells you something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was very nervous what my parents would say because my dad is an optometrist, Mm -hmm. right? And they knew that I was an up that I was in optometry and I was graduating as an optometrist. And so they had a bit of an expectation that, you know, I would probably come into the practice or at least attempt to come into the practice and see if that was a good fit. And so when I brought it up at dinner, the dinner table with my wife, um, that I got in, my mother made a very good comment and some of it, I, I don't know if it was, she said to me, is this one of those decisions that is going to be better for you? Or is this one of those decisions where the grass is greener on the other side of the street? She said, I in, in, in love, I want you to make whatever decisions best for you, but I want you to, I want you to consider and just strongly think about is the grass really greener on the other side of the street? Hmm. And that really resonated with me for a long Mm -hmm. time. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about how that resonated for you? Yes. So I, um, then after that started to analyze, well, what is the lifestyle of an eye surgeon, of an ophthalmologist? Mm-hmm. What, what do they do? Like what, when they wake up in the morning to all the way when they go to bed, what, what is their lifestyle? And being an optometrist, thankfully I had that a bit of an insight into that because I refer to ophthalmology all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know that there is one ophthalmologist in town who commonly works past seven or eight o'clock at night. 
in their clinic because they're so busy. Yeah. Yeah. So like really it, it sounds to me like, like that, that, that job is kind of all consuming. It's like, yes. Yeah. You're living it. And I'm like, just as, as you're saying that, that sounds like a life that really didn't fit for you. No, there was, um, one moment where I had, a uh, my oldest, he was one at the time mm-hmm. and we're sitting in the bedroom and trying to put him to bed, uh, putting his clothes on him. And, uh, you know, as dads do, it's our, it's our prerogative to tickle, right? That's mm-hmm. what we do as dads. We tickle. Mm-hmm. So it's tickling him and just laughing. And my wife is laying there on the bed beside him and smiling. And I had this moment in my life where I clicked and said, what in this life matters most to me? Mm-hmm. Is it moments of status where, you know, I was able to become the guy who's in charge of all the guys. Mm. Is it the ability that I have to open up eyeballs and do cool things? Or is it being a dad? What is being a husband? What is the most important thing to me? And I remember there was um, somebody I was talking to, and I don't have the research behind this to say per se, but they, they were convinced they, they were, they were a physician and they said that the divorce rate amongst physicians is higher than the general population because of the time pressure. And I looked at my beautiful wife and I thought, I don't want anything to come between me and her. And I looked at my son and I thought, I want time to give my son. I don't want to work till eight o'clock every night. I want to be able to have time for them. And, uh, that was, I think the the critical part point in me making that decision was that moment right there in the simple act of me tickling my child and uh, having this blissful life is not always this blissful, but this blissful moment, um, to help me just synthesize the, 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 the decision in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, like, and 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 I thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that that's kind of what you know. We all always expect moments of clarity to kind of just boom hit us, and like we realize that this is a moment of clarity. But I think, like, and and I can just tell, like, just looking at you right now, that that's that that's a real emotional story for you to share. And even going back on that, and it's like that just kind of. That, that wasn't the moment of clarity that you were expecting, but it came there. And it sounds like you had to actively bring that out for yourself in that moment of reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, isn't that interesting? It's like you saw a thread there, mm-hmm. something that was important and you pulled on it to find out what it was trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those threads usually come from our guts or our heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Those good old neurons that are down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so this is what brought you to the place in which you were going to make a decision. What did it look like then? Um, how did that go? How did your life work in, you made the decision and that was just it. You moved on. So this is, this is the classic, uh, <laughs> Corey, my wife's name is Vanessa. The Corey and Vanessa problem is that, uh, we can never make a decision in our lives. And this was like two nights before, <laughs> I was supposed to arrive. So I originally said yes, because I didn't want to close the door because closing the door is bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least that's, that's what I was taught growing up. You know, you never close the door, yeah. but uh, you keep sure. as many doors open as you can. Yeah. And, and, and once again, probably then still parts of you being misaligned because then you go, okay, I'm not going to close the door, but that leaves me disorganized. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I still feel disorganized. <laughs> totally. So I still feel anxious. Totally. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we procrastinated and we went on many walks and many walks and many discussions. And the conclusion we came to was that, uh, I don't know, I need more time, I need more time, I need more time. And then all of a sudden it was like two days before and, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting, having this moment and, um, at least I did in my mind. And then I catch my wife a little bit later on the computer booking me a flight to, to Montreal. And I walked into the room and I saw the flight and I went, Vanessa, what are you doing? And she in tears in her eyes said, I'm booking you a flight so you can go do your thing. So you can become an ophthalmologist. 
And, uh, and I said, Vanessa, I don't know if this is what we should do. And, uh, so I took her hand off the mouse and she was, she's actually really close to grabbing the credit card to put in credit card information. And, and, uh, yeah, I pulled her hand away and, you know, we, uh, we talked for a while and gave a big, she had a big long hug and, and, uh, we made our decision right then and there two days before I was supposed to show up to med school that, um, that I shouldn't go. And it was really hard. It was really hard. So answer your question, what led up to that? A lot of confusion, a lot of anxiety, a lot of walks where we talked about the exact same thing over and over again. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I, and I think that, that, that that's really important to share because I think for so many of us, when we look at decisions, it's like, you have to make the decision right now. Or, you know, or it comes over one conversation, but you know what? It can be a long process and that's okay. Sure. And, uh, and I, I, once again, I can't claim to understand someone else's motivation, but I try to put myself in someone else's shoes and I think about this. Um, and it's really hard to believe or trust someone sometimes. Like what I mean by that is it's like someone that they really, really cares about you. And basically what they're, they're saying to you is, I will not hold you back. Yeah. No, yeah. I won't hold you back. It won't be because of me that you didn't go. And, um, but, but maybe, maybe it's really hard to actually truly believe that they're not holding you back, that, that they're the reason that you want to make a decision. They are your choice. And that there, and that that choice is more important to you. Yeah. yeah. Coming back to that, it just makes me think of again, sort of the circle of security, right? You know, like where where you're you're gonna mm-hmm. trust that you're that you're gonna be able to go away, or you know, and go away from this, and that she's gonna be there for you. Sure. And that you're gonna have that trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that position of being able to be yourself and be autonomous and still also come back and be connected as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's super powerful. As you said that, I was like, oh, there's so many men out there in terms of mental health that need to be able to hear that message that you are enough, mm-hmm. that you don't have to go do something else. And that if you're doing this for your family, but in the end it takes you away from your family, then what's the point? Yeah, and and then the other side, women that need to hear that actually maybe you don't understand your the motivation of your husband sometimes um, and you're not holding him back. And well, and just when you talk about men, because I think for a lot of us, we're defined by what we do rather than who we are or who we're connected to. And sometimes it's our identity is not just one or the other, but it's it's multidimensional. Mm-hmm. So that's a really powerful story. Thank you for being so willing um, in terms of that that raw, authentic experience that is very amazing. So, so this spot where you get to in your, in your narrative, that is when ultimately that unity came where the decision was actually not just yours, but shared and, and became solid. And then, then you, you just didn't go. I just never showed up and we called, I think the day of the first day of class just to say, I wouldn't be going. And so my wife, she called and, you know, McGill obviously said, well, he needs to apply next year. And I thought, yeah, as if they're going to accept me again. (laughs) I basically uh, said yes. And then just did the worst thing ever, which is just not show up. (laughs) So um, I feel like I sure closed that door. But um, it was um, but it was it was very difficult to deal with at the time, trying to rectify my brain. I felt so good about this decision. You know, I felt like, yes, this is the right decision for me. I wanted to do this. I I should do this. This is what I want. And then a month later feeling 
the exact opposite. Like, what did I do? What decision did I make? Did I, I made the wrong one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I go back? Where's the, where's the rewind button? Mm-hmm. I just died in Mario. Let me restart the yeah. level. Yeah. Let me yeah. spawn again. I need yeah. to spawn yeah. again. Yeah. I yeah. Have, you know, I, yeah, it's like, it's like playing the game of life. It's like, okay, wait, I did that path. Let's play another game. I'm going to make the same decisions, <laughs> but I'm going to, you know, it, it's like choose your own adventures. Like, okay, wait, yeah. I'm going to go back and a couple I'm pages. Yeah, going exactly. back to page 10. I'm making the other choice. <laughs> not going in the left door, going in the right one. Yeah. <laughs> Got eaten by a dragon on that one. Yeah. 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 No, I feel like we should be playing a game in D and D. That it, it was interesting because it taught me a lot about um, that we, when we make decisions, we obviously make the decisions with the best information we have available to us. And the future is not available to us. And, um, that's what, um, kind of helped me get through that point in my life is realizing that, you know, that was the best decision we could have made at the time and, and moving forward, we need to move forward and still looking back on it now for where we are right now, that was the best decision for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I do not regret it. You know, all, all those little hardships that we went through to get where we're at is, um, it was all worth it in the end. Um, because now I have time for my kids. I, I you know, I, I still, I still have to go to work, you know, my hours in a week. And I, I, I do enjoy seeing patients. I, sure. I find good sad job satisfaction, but, mm-hmm. um, at the same vein, it's, I, I, I get to spend time where I decided what was the most important thing for me. And that was my children and my wife. And I still stand by that decision. Yeah. And, and, you know, I like, like, as you say that, I think for so many of us, like we can go through life and we can carry around regrets and should haves and could haves and, you know, why didn't I do that? And the thing is, sometimes we have to remind ourselves, what are the positive things that we have in life? And what would we truly be giving up if we didn't have that? Sure. Because in part, we're talking about giving up growth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, for sure. Um, so you, so you're telling me my mother was right. Hmm. Interesting, was the grass actually. Really yeah, greener yeah. on the other side yeah, of the street. Yeah, like because when you said that, um, and I was thinking through what you said earlier, I'm, I'm really glad that you circled back to that, because um, I, I would say it in a slightly different different way. <laughs> um, that is, if I was your mom, I would say, Corey, we already lived through this. We know that this is enough. Yeah. Like we know that you're going to have your security met. We know that you're going to feel content and organized and settled in this because we already lived this. We did it already. Yeah. So you don't need to worry about going on to being something greater and you don't have to worry about your family. Everything will be good. Yeah. And like that kind of circles back to the, well, again, to like thinking about, um, going down those, those paths. Like it's like your parents did made those similar decisions. Now you're doing the different one. If I'm understanding you properly. Yeah, no, you're, you're correct. It's like, she already lived it and she knows the internal rules that are being lived by. So she's saying, you don't have to worry. It will work out. (laughs) You, you don't need to worry about those other things. Yeah. We've already, I've already, I've already got to this spot in my life where I walked the journey and I know the journey and I'm telling you it's going to be all right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that that would be an interesting question for a lot of people to reflect upon where is how many of those unconscious narratives that are, that we've been taught by our parents that we're just replaying. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what is that like for us? And where, like, where it's like honoring that, but then how can we take that knowledge and move forward like you did? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's interesting. I think it's just in my subconscious, I, um, I, uh, <laughs> I think since making that decision, I, my wife and I look back and I, I do some kind of quirky things like, um, 
<laughs> Trent, you, you noticed my shoes, but did you know my did you notice my socks when I walked I, in? I, I did notice. You didn't want to say anything, did you? No, no, I absolutely <laughs> love those socks. You mean that they're not the same? That you're wearing yeah. ones that are uh, mis- mismatched? <laughs> no, yeah. no, I I, mm-hmm. I I noticed the mismatch, but I, I just. I, I love the color. The oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. But, um, I think for me, it's like, and, and, and as a doctor, I, I, I don't go by Dr. McClung mm. and I use the excuse that I did want to differentiate myself from my father in the same clinics that there's not two McClungs, but I go by Dr. Corey or Corey, you know, there's a lot of patients that just call me Corey and that's totally chill by me. Um, or Dr. Ooh. Corey, because it, for me in my mind, it separates myself from societal expectations that they have on me. Sorry. And wearing unmatched socks is the exact same. Oh, I'm purposely sense. breaking those conventions in my own mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there again, too, like you you are consciously engaging with these things and saying, what part, what, what, what's really valuable and what part of this can I just jettison? Like the fact that you're, and, and to me, I'm hearing that you've integrated um, your role as a doctor into yourself where you don't need to point it out and literally walk around with um, your diploma, as it were, around your neck, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. I, that's interesting. There's something there about being enough, isn't there? Yeah. There is. There's something there. Like, yeah. uh, like for, for example, in my own life story, I didn't know I had an attention deficit disorder. And in, you know, school years, I stuff I didn't like, I just didn't do. <laughs> so, so, you know, forming that position that oh, I'm not, I'm not cut out for school. That's not my thing. Um, you know, then completing a master's degree. But where's my, where's my degree? Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, no. You, Anyone that's ever been in my office has never seen it because both of my degrees still sit inside the case they gave them to me in and are just put in my shelf somewhere. Yeah. They're not on my wall. Yeah. Because something inside me still says, I don't know, that's not me. Yeah. yeah. Well, but what I would be curious about is, is that like when you say that's not you, what do those degrees represent then? Yeah, for sure, right? Because it is a two. It's a. It's a. It's a coin. Two sides on that coin, um, because there's still something inside me that says I'm good enough because of what I do or what I accomplish, but I don't want it to be that way, you know. So then the yeah. other side says, No, that's that's don't don't be like that. That's stupid. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're you, you don't need a you don't need that to be good enough. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Yeah. It's just interesting how, um, so many times in our life we, um, we have sort of ex- expectations of us. Um, and, and one of those is, uh, being one of the Joneses <laughs> is a, a term we use all the time in our, in our mm-hmm. society. And, um, it's, yeah, that, that, that's such a that's such a nebulous term, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> yeah, keep yeah. up with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah that's, well, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and the, and the thing is, is that how I come? Um, it's taking me back to like second or third year sociology, where I mean, even if you look at just sort of like the um, the educational track that people go down, where it's like you're expected to do these things, like whether you're high class, low class, middle class, and even if you're disrupting that, like you can go up, but you better not go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and if you have that, that, that ladder to climb in, you know, and then have you ever had people look at you and go, whoa, wait, you passed up medical school? <laughs> yeah. 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 One of them was the doctor that I knew. He's like, What what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're like, had well. a conversation with him. And by the end of the conversation, he was like, Oh yeah, okay, I get where you're coming from. But his first reaction was, What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, Yeah, well, just not drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But it was just, it's, it's just interesting how many times in life, and it doesn't have to do with your profession. It's just so many times we make decisions and it's, you know, am I making this decision because it's for me? You know, am I making this decision because society wants me to do this? Um, whether it be a thing or a house or a boat or a, a vehicle, a truck or whatever, you know, it's, it is the, 
when am I going to reach the point where I'm happy with who I am? I'm happy with what I have. I'm happy with my, my status, my, my mental state, my family, you know, what, when am I going to reach the point where I say to myself, enough is enough? What, when am I going to do that? And um, we do that so many times with everything, with, with more than just your occupation. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I love where you're going with this. Yeah. Because um, how, how does it relate to other parts of life. Like your occupation is very important because it was going to change your dynamic of how much time you're going to have, how you're going to live your life. Um, but, but it really isn't just about that. No, it, no. It's representing something that, that can be transferable to many aspects of life. And, um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, um, in that, in terms of your own experience with it. What does that look like in terms of other parts of your life where you go, you know what? Actually, this is good enough. You know, it's funny because you bring that up. Because when I, when I first knew Jeremy, we, were, uh, we had, uh, I can't remember this. I think we were in a vehicle together and we're driving somewhere. And uh, you saw my house and you said, you have, I think in your mind, you thought to yourself, you've got a smaller house. And you, you made the comment to me, you're like, one day you will move into a bigger house. <laughs> Do you remember saying that? I think so, yeah. That I was like... Hmm. That's and part of me was thinking I will never move. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. Like, like, like this house is enough. You're, you're, yeah, you're exactly. You're, you're, and, and, and they're in a nice house. Yeah. Well, and well. then they just got some really fancy uh, window blinds now. That, <laughs> well, well, that, well. So that no one has to do a trapeze act to try to close the blinds anymore. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, as, um, and, and really, if I could say overtly, mm. um, I really appreciate that. I love the transparency. Um, because what, what I was saying is your earning potential is going to be in a place in which or eventually you're going to want something different than this. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think that you're, you're taking that too, right? And going, hey, wait a minute. But who are you to judge me about if, um, if I'm not going to be satisfied, if somehow I'm yeah. going to want more? Yeah. 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 Um, and that's and, a fair statement. Who am I to say that? Yeah. No, no, that that's, uh, that's very true. The one but thing buy that, a nice, big, beautiful house that is different than the one that you have, if you wish. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't have my call, man. Hold you back. Well, yeah, well, yeah, no, but, no, no. But, but yeah, like, like it's it's just it's about being mindful. And the one other thing that kind of come up, like when you were talking about enough is enough. Um, I was almost thinking about why, like, because sometimes people are holding on to different things or or keeping themselves within different status because they don't want to let that go or different things. And it's asking yourself, when is it time to let those things go as mm-hmm. well too? Mm-hmm. If, that, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think actually having somebody that can say, Hey, I'm a doctor. My life's not perfect. There are these particular things that I worked through that I struggled with. Um, because most of the time people want to distance themselves from having anybody know about their own struggles. And of course, there's an important point in which is like, hey, wait a minute, that level of sharing um, isn't really going to be appropriate. There's some position of, of, of privacy. But this is the, the, the more general spot around being able to say that. Um, and because a lot of other people will just be more open to being willing to say... Yeah, I also struggle with something. And guess who gets through this life without it? No one. Mm-hmm. Nope. No. So, like, just thinking about our whole conversation today, and, and as you've kind of um, gone through all this, I'm really wondering, because we started it with um, what you kind of gained from the other episodes. I'm wondering what you gained from going through this episode with us today. Yeah. So, um, I think part of me, uh, you know, I have a sheet of notes here mm. <laughs> from stuff that my daughter had drawn and colored on and uh, chicken scratched. And I don't think I touched on one of those. It, what's fascinating to me is that, you know, we talked to initially at the beginning, we kind of outlined what we we're going to go and how we we're going to get there. And now we're telling you guys things that 
we never talked about. Sure. You know, we went in a completely different direction yeah. with things organic. that I still had thought about, mm-hmm. but, but, but are, are different because our, our conversation has morphed to something different. And I think for me, the, the biggest take homes from this morphed conversation from, from my, my chicken scratch thoughts is that um, my, my parents and, um, you know, what they maybe have experienced things in a, in a different way. You know, the, the epigenetics you talked about um, with um, and also just with how my mom might have felt being in that situation, um, possibly even isolated, you know, and, and maybe my mom was feeling or wasn't feeling that way, but it, it helps give me context to situations in my own past that I could reflect upon and, and realize, did I analyze this correctly? Was this person feeling that way that I, I thought they were actually feeling or, or were they perhaps feeling something entirely different than maybe I had initially even, mm-hmm. even, even, have, even sure. had thought. And, and, and maybe this activated something in me, um, in the feelings that I have, that actually isn't necessarily about this person, yes. but or about even something true. that was in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and and you know, like when when you say true, I I, I think that that's um, that's an important thing to kind of highlight there because sometimes what's true for us in the moment it's not that it's not true later on, but it's also just about perception shift sure sure like a the position around sometimes we take truth and um what we really mean is intention Mm. so we're like we're taking this and this is the way this affected me and it is it is true to me because that the way that happened impacted me but the other person's intention wasn't the truth that i experienced Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Yeah. I, oh. No, go ahead, Trent. No. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, I'm just. I'm, I feel like we're we're reaching the end of the. Con- yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we're pulling things oh, yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, Corey, uh, I, I think is Trent's kind of pulling some of that together. I just actually wondered mm. if there's something that's on that beautiful piece of paper that you uh, just brought out <laughs> that actually you wanted to have a chance to be able to say. But point. didn't because we do have the ability to uh, um, to catch some of that as as we pull things together. Um, I mean, obviously, there's lots that can make us who we are. Uh, my parents are part of it. How I grew up with my siblings is another. But really, I think for me, what was helpful for from all of this, and from listening to your previous episodes and and podcasts is just the internal reflection that has come from all of this has been so positive for my life. Um, Taking something like intergenerational trauma, which was mostly about, you know, the indigenous people, I have next to, I feel like I have next to zero connection to that, but yet I gleaned so much from that podcast. And that goes from to many of those different podcasts. And so I just feel so appreciative to have had this moment to share my own insights as I've thought about your podcasts, even if they didn't have a direct correlation to my own past, because they gave me an opportunity to reflect on my own past and apply those principles and concepts to my own life to help me better understand who I am and how I tick and how I can make better decisions in my future and understanding my own mental health. Yeah. Th- thank you. You know, that's, that's really beautiful. And that brings me back to a saying that sometimes I say to people is that we don't all walk the same path in life, but sometimes we can feel similar bumps. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you, Jeremy? Like what, what have you really taken away from doing this episode today, man? Um, actually, I was really uh, amazed at just the authentic and organic conversation that um, what what came out, what you were willing to share, uh, Corey, because I know that you're actually a rather private person. So, yeah. 
um, to be able to say, I want to make a difference. And so I'm going to open up because these other people, they shared and it affected me and I was able to grow. Well, I would like to be able to share so someone else can grow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, um, for those of, and, and I, I think that kind of brings into like one of the big takeaway moments for me, like when you were sharing part of your story, like the three of us, all three of us were getting emotional on various levels and you could see it on all of our faces. And, and I think that I'm hopeful that the re, that resonates with people as they're listening on some level and that um, we just continue on with talking about um and sharing about mental health and like where you think to yourself as you're going through your day and as you're listening and if you think to yourself hmm if i'm like i think to myself sometimes if i'm on amazon i know that this may be a little plebeian thing to think about but do i really need that purchase you know and i mean what you shared today Corey, that that's a monumental thing but this is sort of a concept and an idea that can move forward in every intention and every action that we take on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you again, Corey, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And uh, to all our listeners, signing out, this is Jeremy Alcorn. This is Trent Nakers. Bye. This podcast is intended as general information. We are glad that you joined us today. We hope this message has been as meaningful to you as it has been to us. If you're looking for help, you can find us on Facebook at Humanizing Mental Health or at humanizingmentalhealth.ca. Humanizing Mental Health is a plugged-in media production.